From Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, this is the In Her Boots podcast, a show about women cultivating the sustainable and organic agriculture movement and how she does it. My name is Lisa Kiverest, and I founded and lead the award-winning Moses In Her Boots project, providing training, resources, and support for women farmers. I'm a farmer myself, running in serendipity with my family in Wisconsin, and am the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. Today we kick off a fresh In Her Boots podcast series with Alicia Rosvi of Wooly Time Microfarm. Alicia shares her inspiring story of turning crisis into opportunity and following her farm dream as a path to healing and fulfillment motivated by her husband's successful fight with leukemia. Alicia Rosvi is the owner and operator of Wooly Time Microfarm in Stevens Point, Wisconsin, a two-acre farm that specializes in CSA, halal butchered poultry, jams and chutneys, and home baked goods. She serves as president of the Wood Portage Wapaka County chapter of the Wisconsin Farmers Union and is a graduate of the National Farmers Union Beginning Farmer Institute. We are kicking off a new In Her Boots podcast series with the inspiring Alicia Rosby of Woolly Time Micro Farm. Thank you so much for joining us. And I love these In Her Boots podcast interviews personally because there are so many women like yourself that... I, I meet in bits and pieces, short bits and pieces, you know, at conferences or different events. And I always want to hear more about people's stories and it gives us an opportunity to to do that. So uh, to kick it off, if you could give us the quick summary of where life is now uh, as far as your farm and what you're up to with your family. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you for inviting me. Um, I am the owner and operator of Woolly Time Micro Farm. It is a two-acre um, small-scale CSA. We also do pastured chicken for eggs and halal butchered poultry. And uh, we've recently stepped into uh, homemade and um, canned and um, jammed <laughs> pickles and chutneys, um, as well as unique jams and home baked goods. So, so you're super diversified. That's great. Lots of eggs, lots of baskets. And where do you sell? What outlets in the areas? In the summertime, we uh, sell at uh, we use our CSA as our model, um, and we also do a small farm stand on CSA nights and put that into the community. So people are out and about; they come by and. Uh, purchase any of our extras. Um, we also do a winter farmer's market. And so in the winter time, when we're not doing the CSA, we're at um, a Saturday market every week and selling cookies and um, sometimes breads, pies, jams, chutneys, the like. I hear that Stevens Point Market is really hopping too. It's been... It's a fun one. A yes. Growing. That's yes. great. Lots That's of diversity. Great. It's really neat. So, so take us back. So... Did you grow up on a farm or egg no. roots or no? Nope. <laughs> we have a lot of stories like that. Good. You're in good company. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I am in my fourth year um, of farming. Um, my story as a farmer is uh, has a dramatic beginning. Um, uh, seven years ago, 
in February um, of 2012, um, my husband was diagnosed with leukemia. And he had um, AML, it's the aggressive acute version, um, and it requires a lot of chemotherapy, a lot of radiation, and ultimately for him, it required a bone marrow transplant. Wow. Um, and his brother was a perfect match. And I can tell you right off the bat that he is seven years cancer-free, healthy as can be. Um, every day is just an incredible gift. But one of the things that we learned was that uh, leukemia is an environmental cancer. So something somewhere in the environment reacted to something in my husband Shabar's genetic code, and it started making him produce white blood cells like crazy. And um, in order to get that under control, um, we had all this time spent in the hospital um, and ultimately that bone marrow transplant, which makes you uh, be isolated from uh, all public, not just general public, but also family, our children, um, for 100 days. And when we got done with the 100 days, uh, when we were done with the... Um, survival of cancer. It was a seven-month process. Uh, we just felt like we'd been given this chance to do something different and do something special. And um, growing food was something that I could do that would remove any of those environmental factors that we had been taught to be concerned about, um, different pesticides and herbicides, different artificial sweeteners. And so I dove in. Um, wow. So it it, it starts, uh, we do have this moment um, in the story, uh, in the middle of the night. Um, I had, at the, at the time, um, a six-year-old, a two-year-old, and a newborn. And I don't think I slept during Jeez, the entire time. Mama, no, you were holding up the ship. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I, I took care of Shabar in the hospital during the day, took care of my babies at night. And um, one of those sleepless nights, um, I had this epiphany. Um, of seeing um, a seed kind of bl come blossom in my hand um, into a sprout. And I knew at that moment, like it just, it hit me uh, that I could grow life and I could control this little tiny bit of life because that's all, we, we don't get to control very much and um, in our in our path. And so this was one thing that I could do. And I could take life by the roots and I could move it to where I needed it to go. And I could heal my family. And um, so that started our adventure. Wow. Oh, that is farming <laughs> on a beautiful mission. So had you been gardening already or was this really new or taking um, it up a scale? Gardening was something I enjoyed um, in our little city lot. You were in Stevens Point. In, yep. In Stevens Point in the city, we had a victory garden in our front yard. And uh, when I had that seed growing night, um, I took my kids home to Stevens Point. Um, we had been seeking treatment in Chicago at the time. And uh, we planted our hearts out that night. And or, I'm sorry, we planted our hearts out that weekend. Um, and it was vegetables that looked like they'd be fun and vegetables that looked like they'd taste good and flowers um, that would just bring us happiness. And um, You planted your heart. We did, yes. And um, when we went back to Chicago, we had some friends who just really cared deeply for us and they took care of the garden in our absence until we could come home fully 
and start our lives back up in the end of July. And, um, and when we came home, everybody expected us just to start life again. And we just couldn't. Um, it, it was too traumatic. It was too much. Um, but a lot of times when things got to be too much, I would just walk out into that garden and um, find hope again. And um, Shabar did the same thing. And we knew we were on to something really special because um, a lot of days after work, he would go right to the garden um, <laughs> before he even said, he said hello to his tomatoes before he said hello to his wife and Aww. kids. Um, and so we decided to um, look for a house that had uh, more land and um, more places to grow. Uh, we took that little Victory Garden model, um, moved out to a two-acre pl- place, which is what Wooly Time is now. And um, I started my extra farming journey by um, going through Master Gardeners. And, sure. Um, oh, great. Yeah. Um, we realized that Master Gardeners uh, was well and good for um, growing flowers, but I really was moved to grow food. Um, and so I actually um, found my first farmers union meeting. And um, it's very cliche, but the rest is history. I mean, I uh, found my tribe. I found the people that uh, could teach me what I needed to do and what I needed to know and how I could ramp up my own scale. And they were the ones who put the idea in my head that I could be a farmer before I believed it myself. Oh, finding that community is so key. So right around that time too, is when you started thinking that this could be a business, that this could be more. Yes. So the the following season, I took a sustainable farming course in uh, my town of Stevens Point and, um, Really went from there, uh, decided at that class um, to set an intention of making um, my home a CSA farm. And uh, we just tried a pilot season. And um, I kind of cringe now, but we charged $50 to anybody who responded to a request on Facebook. uh, And we grew vegetables for them for 18 weeks and just wanted to see how things would go. And what drew you to the CSA, the Community Supported Agriculture model? What about it? I felt like it was a very uh, safe model for me to begin with. Um, I could grow a diverse array of vegetables, which appeals to me. Um, I was able to compartmentalize each week and promise that I could give X amount of dollars in a bag of produce per week per customer. And that felt easily attainable to me. Um, And we have, I mean, at that time, that pilot season was a 10-week season and it was $5 a bag. We've um, expanded to an 18-week season at $25 a bag. So we've uh, figured out what we're doing a little bit better now. But sometimes setting the bar low to begin with is okay, is what you're saying. Less yeah. pressure. Yes, yes. And um, and it was great. And we had so much fun. And um, my husband has learned that he's really interested in soils and soil health and building his own compost. And I have learned that I'm really interested in the marketing of the farm and uh, the newsletter and writing and that customer component of meeting everybody when they get there. Um, and so we've just found a really nice balance. Wow. And how did you come up with the name Woolly Thyme, like the herb, right? Yes. So Woolly Thyme is um, this 
resilient, low-growing, little aromatic herb. Um, it's not really used for culinary purposes, but it smells delightful, um, especially if you have it along your walking paths. And um, when we moved out to our two acres, we had come away from um, a, a, a yard that was between a tenth and a fifth of an acre. And so two acres was the world. It was just constant um, exploration. I had these two little boys and one little girl, and we would just go and roam. And we discovered woolly thyme growing wild on our property. Um, and when I looked up the um, kind of the story behind woolly thyme, um, resiliency was one of the words that uh, jumped out at me. And if nothing else, that's what I felt we were, um, was resilient. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. oh that's beautiful. That's great. And having micro farm in your name too, it sounds like you're all about the small and that you can do it on small acreage relatively, right? It's yes. Not... Yes. I believe that um, the future of farming is anything but giant. And so um, when we found this two acres, um, micro farm literally means less than five acres. It's not a word that I made up, but I use it a lot. Um, but Everything we do is actually on a micro scale. We have um, halal poultry um, that we do butchering CSAs, and that's a five-bird buy-in, and it's much less than other meat CSAs happen to be. Um, our CSA scale is eight vegetables, uh, whereas my counterparts in uh, the Stevens Point area are closer to 10 to 15 vegetables. Um, so our price point is lower, and our... Um, Variety is a little bit different, but CSA um, vegetable fatigue exists, and yeah. so the micro <laughs> scale is there to serve that function. Yeah, and you can manage it yourself. You don't yes. need to hire people or nope. It something. is just my husband and I, and then we have our three kids who hang out when we're out there and enjoy uh, sometimes weeding, always harvesting things like that. <laughs> so you have the vegetables. And then the chickens that you're doing. And when you mentioned the halal processing, can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. So we are a Muslim family, and um, halal is the word um, that is synonymous with um, kosher, um, but it is a way of preparing um, a live animal and then butchering that animal. Um, so Muslims have certain animals that they can never eat, like pork, um, and then they have animals that... Um, or there are different uh, versions or ways of looking at eating halal. Um, my particular family believes that we go, we don't buy our veg our meat from the grocery store. We um, butcher it ourselves, or we uh, work with area farmers and and area Muslims and figure that out. Um, and so we started growing our own chicken. Um, the method of halal is to have a Muslim person be the one who does the butcher. The animal must be um, hung and the throat must be cut and it, the animal must be bled out. And um, when the Muslim person does that kill cut, um, they, they say in the name of God. And it's the same, it's very similar wording. It's the same meaning as um, a rabbi might say yeah, so yeah, it's a, okay, when they do kosher. Realize, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very similar. And respectful of the animal and its, yes, it's a um, ceremony in its way. Correct. Yep. Yep. We um, also are 
asked but not required. And so we do this ourselves, um, offer the animal water as a last rite, and then just treat the animal kindly all the days of their life, but especially that moment right before they are being butchered, and we thank the animal. And then say, in the name of God, and everything else after that is the same um, method for you know, butchering, um, quartering, things like that, the things that you're used to seeing with chicken cuts. So. And that's how you as a family had been doing your processing, but now it's part of your business. Yes, too. exactly. Yep. And um, so we had always hoped to get into a market where uh, we could produce halal chicken and turkey and duck for area Muslims. Uh, there aren't a lot of area Muslims in the Stevens Point in central Wisconsin area, but there are a few, and we do uh, grow poultry for them specifically, um, but that is not our only customer base. We um, just have a lot of folks who are interested in local meat and um, pasture-raised poultry, so it works out. Going back to your journey of learning, were there other resources you found helpful? You mentioned you took the class and the Master Gardeners. And the Farmers Union, you pulled together a lot of different yes, things. Yes, yep. Diversified in your learning, too. Yes. <laughs> um, that's, yeah, that's the way to do it, you bet. Right, right. No, we, um, both Shabar and I are um, avid readers. We like to uh, challenge ourselves to read two books a month if we can, one fiction, one nonfiction. And so um, a lot of the reading that I have done over the last um, four years has been anything that I can get my hands on and Shabar can get his hands on. Um, so, I mean, I have um, Soul Sisters and I have Homemade for Sale on my bookshelf and that's they've been wealths of information. Um, but also uh, the Sarah book on soil health is probably that's my a, husband's yep. favorite book. Um, we um, enjoy the memoir type of reading like The Dirty Life and um, – uh, the raising of an urban farmer, I think. Uh, so there's just anything that we can get our hands on. It's we're kind of hungry for that type of information. And then, as I mentioned, the the farmers union and the farming community in central Wisconsin is just very rich and um, with sharing information and supporting one another. Um, so we attend um, kind of like potlucks and um, activities. Um, not just farmers union related, but also just social gatherings. And gosh, I get my best advice um, just standing around the after dinner and talking about what grit to put in the turkey bin and um, where do you source your barley and things like that. It's great advice. That's what's amazing about our organic community, and especially women, is it is so collaborative and that defies would you say traditional business models? Do you know why would you tell your competitor your secrets? It Absolutely. doesn't make sense from a business one oh one class, but we do things differently yes. and it works. Yes. And it works. Yep. I, I just thought of one other thing that yeah. I did. Um I was um privileged to be part of the Beginning Farmers Institute through National Farmers Union last year. And so that was a really excellent learning tool as well. I spent a um a year essentially learning with 20 other farmers from around the United States. Um, and they really helped me figure out my cost of production and price points. Um, money is so hard to talk about for people. And um, I am lucky enough to live in an area that transparency is really um, valued. But this was 
extra wonderful. We were able to um, use the advice I took from the beginning Farmers Institute and move our farm last year from the red into the black this year, which I am very excited oh, about. Oh, kudos. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And thanks. looking back when you and your family were going through these transitions and your story about the seed and, and all of that is so inspiring. But what advice would you give a woman? Because it still had to do with following your intuition, right? Absolutely. And there's women yeah. out there with dreams of things, but we create barriers for ourselves or we create reasons why we can't do something. But for women who share that seed like you had, whatever their life circumstances, what, what advice would you give? So I had to really sit with the discomfort of not knowing that I, that I, not knowing my path fully for a really long time and not understanding that you can still take that first step, that you don't have to see the whole stairway to know that you can try. Um, eventually, I just realized that getting my hands in the dirt was the, it, it was healing for me and it was healing for my family. Um, and that was very clear to me, but I was, I still was afraid to take those steps. Um, I think that if a person just puts them, just sits with that feeling, um, gets an idea of what they want to do, and then just tries, because who cares if you fail? I mean, that at least you tried. And that idea of not having tried and that regret that can um, stay with you is far worse, um, in my opinion. So in my our lives, we took tiny steps. Um, and so when we decided to grow a CSA farm or grow for a CSA farm, we grew for 10 people. Um, now we're growing for 15 or 20 people. Um, we had a shortened season. Now we have a longer season. Um, each year we take tiny little incremental steps. This year we're putting mushrooms on the farm and we're getting bees for the farm. And those two little things aren't going to make or break our model, but it's going to enrich it if we're successful. And um, so I think if you just give something a shot, you have we have no idea what life has in store for us. And so if we just try to just try, if we just try something new, uh, we never know how awesome it's going to land. Terrific. I think it's worth it. <laughs> oh, perfect. Thank you so much, Alicia. Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverest, with the Moses In Her Boots project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kiverest of TechSocket.net. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, Moses. The mission of Moses is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable organic system of agriculture. For more information on Moses, in her boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org.